we have landed on the number one ROI driver that we can produce if we have a well-defined business problem is time and money relative to proficiency. And here's what I mean by that. There are a ton of companies doing three-hour lectures, a week long of this e-learning video, whatever it is. They add up to hours or days or weeks. And we have proven that you can go in a headset and learn the same material in 15 minutes and be just as proficient. In 2007, Derek Belch took a class with Stanford professor and virtual reality expert Jeremy Balenson. A kicker on the football team, Derek saw the technology's potential to improve player preparation. When, several years later, he returned to his alma mater as a graduate student and assistant coach, the technology had caught up to his vision. He found its driver with Jeremy to introduce virtual reality to college football and then to the National Football League. Welcome to the Managing the Future of Work podcast from Harvard Business School. I'm your host, Bill Kerr. Today, I'm speaking with Derek about how Striver is applying virtual reality to learning in the enterprise. Virtual reality seems like a natural fit for professional football. Quarterbacks are paid millions of dollars to make split-second decisions based upon their visual read of a situation. Derek, however, is also going to tell us how virtual reality has the potential to revolutionize workplace learning. From stocking produce to having difficult conversations to better empathizing with a customer. Welcome, Derek. Thanks for having me. Derek, we've had on this podcast a number of different technologies from chatbots up to artificial intelligence. Position for us virtual reality. Maybe how is that different from augmented reality? Kind of get us set it on sure. this technology. So virtual reality is taking your brain to another place. And that is achieved via complete immersion. When I put a headset on, if VR is done correctly, right, there's going to be very little to any light let in that headset. I'm going to look left. I'm going to look right. I'm going to look behind me. I am going to feel mentally, maybe physically, but no wind or heat or any of that yet, at least today. I'm going to feel like I'm somewhere else. And this could be gaming. This could be helping cure a fear of heights. This could be work. That's VR. Mental transportation via immersion. Augmented reality, on the other hand, is really, just like it sounds, augmenting the world around you. Heads-up displays for pilots, the miles per hour flashing on your windshield. AR's been around for a while, and what it really comes down to there is I'm wearing something on my face, I have a, a screen in front of me, whatever, but I'm not taken out of the real world visually, auditorily. Yep. I am augmenting the real world around me with some sort of graphical overlay on another display. Think Minority Report. That's where at least where the world wants it to go. I think that's going to be kind of a scary world, but those are the fundamental differences. Earlier this year, we had a chance to put on your headsets and so forth. It is immersive. How does people's cognitive state change? Like how much are they, quote, tricked into this new reality? And when VR is done correctly, your brain is taken elsewhere. The bottom line is, is we are not evolved to the point where we can tell the difference between a virtual simulation and the real world. And a lot of people won't spend enough time in VR over the next year, five years, 10 years to be able to do that. So for the next decade, highly likely that good VR is always going to be taking us to another place from a mental standpoint. There's kind of two different forms of VR right now. There's you know 360 video, which is largely rotational. I can't walk through a video because it's a real video, right? I can't go inside those pixels necessarily. When I'm watching 360 video, I'm kind of just rotating and I'm looking around, up, down, left, right behind me, and I'm in that scene, but I can't walk over and touch you. But if I'm in kind of like a CGI experience, more of a game, and I've got sensors tracking my physical position relative to those pixels, I can move. I could walk to you. I could walk to that door. 
I can actually really have my mind and my body feel like they're there. And that's kind of the holy grail. Now, take us back to football. It's rare on this podcast series that we have a company whose Minnesota Vikings was one of their early customers. Yeah. <laughs> How are you using this in football? What was the sales pitch that you gave to organizations? I played football at Stanford as an undergrad, and then I worked in consulting for a couple of years, went to business school, and then went back to Stanford to coach with this thought in my head that if I don't see coaching before I turn 30, I'll regret it forever. And while I was coaching, my master's thesis was to come up with a way to train football players using virtual reality. And basically, the Stanford football team was the lab rat, and Coach Shaw, the head coach, endorsed it. He's like, hey, anything you want to do to get an A and that could help the team get better, let's go. The reason why it makes so much sense is because in the NFL and college especially, this is starting to trickle down to high school too, there are rules related to how long you're allowed to spend on the field. So you only get like 90 minutes on some days, two hours on other days. On top of that, it's a very physically demanding game, so you don't want to be out there all day. Well, the thing that people don't realize is how mental the game is. When you watch Tom Brady throw a touchdown on a Sunday, odds are he got that play one time on the field during the week. And he relied on his film preparation and his visualization and the chalkboard to prepare him for what that play could be against this defense, this defense, this defense, or this defense. Then he goes in the game and he just reacts and hopefully his preparation takes over. So what we've been able to do, why VR made a ton of sense early on was, all right, how can I just bring the field into the film room so I have a more realistic experience of being on the field without actually being on the field from a, a preparation standpoint. And uh, were there positions other than quarterbacks where this was principally being used? So we, we've done just about everything at this point, like literally every position on the field. The main home run applications are quarterback, linebacker, safety. People that got to read a whole bunch of information. Yeah, and, and, and where there's a lot of information in front of them, honestly, before they even move. Think about a linebacker. He is not even moving to go make a tackle until he diagnoses what happens. So that's why this is a great fit for football, whereas soccer, hockey, basketball, they're very fluid sports. So if you put a headset on to do virtual basketball training and we're running you down the court, you might throw up in like 10 seconds. Yeah. But in football, it's like read, react, go. So those mental reps before you go are super important. So quarterback, linebacker, safety, and then the kicker, and I'm a former kicker, uh, but visualization and training your brain to see makes and not misses. I can tell you as a former kicker and an avid golfer, you visualize misses. I'm over a three-foot putt. I'm like visualizing a miss. Training the brain to not visualize misses. And it's virtual reality help all with like the stress of the situation? We've had some kickers and quarterbacks, but a lot of kickers, they pump crowd noise in there, right? They hear the call. All right, you know, white, 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 set, go, whatever. And they're seeing the ball snap. They're seeing themselves make a kick. So they're putting themselves emotionally in that situation. So tell us about how this transitioned to Walmart. That's yeah. an amazing story with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Yeah. Walk us through how you got your first regular climb. I call it a fortuitous inbound. The way that it happened was Brett Bielema, the head coach of Arkansas football at the time, they were a customer and he texted me and said, hey, this guy from Walmart was just in the office, a donor, um, an avid fan. He wants your number. Can I give it to him? I'm like, sure. That was it. That was how it happened. And I went down there uh, like a month later and two weeks later we had a signed deal. And the, the cool thing was, I went down there kind of having some ideas of how it could work, but everything they're telling me about the pain they have to train people effectively is like identical to the quarterback use case. Yeah, I think you have to unpack that <laughs> a little bit more for us because it's hard for me to think of a Walmart frontline worker who's being sure. paid $13 an hour versus the NFL quarterback, $13 million. Yeah. How are they similar? So Walmart's very unique and they have an academy system, not unlike a lot of companies that have regional training facilities and stuff, but Walmart's invested a ton of money into this academy program. They've got 200 of them throughout the United States. 
and they're attached to stores. So their curriculum is based on, all right, videos, lectures, PowerPoints, you know, et cetera, like everyone does. But then they actually go in the store for probably 70% of their training. And if you put yourself in Walmart shoes, they can only do so much related to here's where the bananas go. Here's where the vegetables go. Here's what a spill looks like. Here's what an angry customer looks like. They can only do so much relative to paying customers in the stores 24 hours a day. You're not going to close down aisle six to train 30 managers. So they need to just watch things and they don't know what they're going to get on any given day. When we started working together, they were like, okay, where are all of the incidences just like with sports where we can bring the store into the classroom? And now we don't have to go into the store for certain things or for some of those random one-offs that you may see once or twice a year, but are really high impact. We can train on it right now and we can train on it a hundred times. Yeah, like Black Friday. Right. So tell us about the range of use cases that you're currently now working with. So we work with about 30 customers in the Fortune 500. We're actually very selective, uh, unlike a lot of startups. I'm sure you've seen this before. Like saying no is, is really hard. And we say no a lot, which is weird when people want to pay you money and you're trying to yeah. build your business. But we do. And everything that Walmart's doing, mainly related to operations, customer service, et cetera. We've been working with Verizon for about a year now on emotional preparedness in case the store gets robbed. JetBlue, you know, airplane mechanics and certain stuff there, BMW, assembly line, Six Sigma type stuff. So it's a pretty wide range right now. Yeah. And how, if you had a way of sort of summarizing what makes a good use case? Situational awareness is probably where I'd go. We're not doing a ton of what I call like tactile VR, where you're walking across a room, you're picking something up, you're stacking a shelf with a virtual box. The reason for that is from our perspective, that doesn't scale like operationally meaning these companies don't have a lot of space to have someone move around a room. Walmart has four headsets in every store. They don't have four rooms in every store that they can commandeer to have someone like run around and chase zombies in VR. So really what it comes down to with our formula using 360 video is situational awareness. All right, we're going to drop your brain into a scene that you will see from the first minute to the hundredth hour to the hundredth day when you do your job and let's see how you react, right? Let's teach you from the shoes you'll actually be in and let's quiz you and let's see where you look right versus left. And then let's assess you and let's see how you do when this is the real deal, not a pencil and paper exam. That is what we're doing fundamentally. And how do you move from situation awareness into the broader soft skills, yep. learning how to interact with customers? So we're doing some of that right now in different ways, both content-wise as well as business goals and, and software-wise. I feel that soft skills is what I'll call the long tail. Eventually, hopefully, everyone in the knowledge worker world versus the frontline worker is using VR for training largely on soft skills, because there isn't a ton that we could train on with VR behind a computer necessarily, yeah. which is what a lot of us do. So what do they train on? What do managers train on? Well, they train on hiring and firing. They train on giving feedback. They train on executive presence. So that's our vision for the future. And we think we'll have an opportunity to have some off-the-shelf content there. You can only teach those things so many ways. But probably four or five customers right now are doing something in that area. It's a little different execution, both software-wise and content-wise. And then Really what it comes down to is change management. I mean, you know, your question was kind of how do we how do we do the soft skills? It's different operationally. I mean, in a Walmart store or in a BMW factory that with a frontline worker, their work environment and their time is structured in a different way than yours 
as a knowledge worker, as a professor. So when are you going to use this? Where are you going to use it? What are you going to use it for? 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes? And we're trying to replace role play first and foremost when people do training and then we'll kind of see where it goes from there. Fidelity has been a customer of ours, local company headquartered here. They approached us with a use case that I was not very high on from the beginning. Uh, they said, hey, we want to use this for call center training. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, you know, the whole, the one of the- As an entrepreneur, usually do you always come back with, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I, well, no, yes and no. They said, we have seen our customer service scores in certain areas suffer as a result of a lack of empathy for the person calling on the other end of the phone. Okay, that's interesting. So what we did is we kind of created this dual experience that's like 20 to 30% transactional, like just teach you how to operate within the busy call center environment. And then really 70 to 80% building empathy for the person on the other end of the phone. There's a handful of different scenarios that they kind of can choose from. And in one of the cases, like you are literally taken into the living room of the person on the other end of the phone. So for example, why is this woman calling me asking for $8.20? This is a waste of my time. I'm going to move on to the next caller. Well, her husband just died. She's got bills stacked up. Her dog's barking. She just got a hip replacement. Like theatrically, we actually take them into the living room of its actors, right? But of this fictional caller that was off a real recorded transaction or real call to kind of build that script. And lo and behold, it's been working. It's from situational awareness to situational yep. like empathy for the person that, that's yeah. the opposite. Yeah, side. and we saw, I mean, almost immediately, we saw a 10% bump in, in customer service scores within the first like six weeks um, when we kind of compared people that had gone through this training to those who hadn't. So it's been a home run and we've done a lot of other stuff since with them, but empathy has been an interesting one to say the least. In our classroom discussion about Striver earlier this uh, year, we were imagining you know, incoming faculty members and having them train for their very first days in the classroom. Let's stick with the traditional Walmart, a uh, hotel chain and, and so forth. How do you approach the organization? It's going to come up. What's the ROI on this? Sure. Can't I just use a computer screen yeah. or the old fashioned manual? Like I'm sure you get this all the time, but all the time. So the number one question that we get when we go to sell to someone is what's the ROI going to be? And if we're doing our job as a sales team and as a thought leader as we're building this market, we should retort right away respectfully. With all due respect, can you tell me the ROI on your current training? The videos, the PowerPoints, the lectures, right? And most of the time they'll say, we don't know. Okay, so let's just stop there. <laughs> let's level the playing field. We don't even know what the ROI is on what you're doing today. So how can you hold us to that standard too? So that's that. I'll try to go in order of how you just asked these. So first of all, the L&D function in an organization is critical to our success, right? Because they're the learning and development. Function. Exactly. So they're, they're often the ones administering the training strategically and tactically. They have to be involved from day one. That said, with some of our larger deployments we've had with the Walmarts, the Verizons, et cetera, L&D can't do it alone. And they know that. And so now we're being a lot more forthright. Like, hey, guys, our philosophy is L&D plus two. Getting other parts of the organization engaged early to help with scale, so maybe operations is part of this, right? To help with the ROI, maybe finance is part of this, to help with, sometimes L&D is not part of HR, sometimes it is, maybe bring HR in, but bringing in other parts of the organization early so they can have visibility, A, so when you're ready for scale beyond a pilot, they can help, B, so maybe they can write a bigger check to take this around the organization, right? We kind of go down this list. ROI, this is it, this is the biggest thing, and we learn more and more about ROI every day, and we have landed on the number one ROI driver that we can produce if we have a well-defined business problem is time and money relative to proficiency. And here's what I mean by that. There are a ton of companies 
doing three-hour lectures, a week long of this e-learning video, whatever it is, right? They add up to hours or days or weeks. And we have proven that you can go in a headset, learn the same material in 15 minutes and be just as proficient. Minimum bar is we'll be just as knowledgeable on the core competencies of the job as we are coming out of the three-hour lecture as in 15 minutes. And retention of the knowledge? Identical. In some cases, better because it's a, it's a different way to learn. It's experiential learning. So there's your ROI right there. So we're pushing our, our customers to say, okay, number one, what's your business problem? We're not just going to do this for fun. Then give us all the things you do to train people. How long do you spend? What materials? Let us see it all. And then we will recommend, okay, let's start here. Let's do it for this long. And Walmart's a great example. They have this uh, pickup tower. Pickup tower. Yeah, yeah, for e-commerce. You've seen it. Yeah. yeah. So they've been installing it in stores around the country. It's where you order online and you can go to go the and pick store it up. and yep. pick it up. Before Striver, they would train the associates in the store on how to use that tower for an entire day. And now they do it in 15 minutes. And the output is identical. Sometimes better. So there you go. That's what, seven hours and 45 minutes of wages that you get back that someone can be doing something else or working on the job. Love the hidden cost of labor and training and, uh, and so yep. forth. One of the things we talk about with technology is you got to be careful about just overlaying technology on an older process. You can put a lot of technology around it, but it's still not the process that you wanted to use for the new way of work. When you think about taking this set of training documents, this is the way we trained for that tower in, in the past at Walmart. How do you go from that into the 15 minutes that you need? There's two sides of this. There, there's a content side, kind of like a learning side. All right, how do we take all this material that was hours or thousands of words or pictures and how do we boil that down to four minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever it is. And then honestly, more importantly is the change management side. Cool. We, we made this module. We guarantee you that they're going to be just as knowledgeable or more in a fraction of the time. But now Mr. or Mrs. Customer, it's on you to integrate this into the flow of what you do. When you actually peel back the layers of how these companies train on the surface, it seems really hard for them. And they're like, oh my God, when am I going to have them do this, right? I do this, I do this, I do this. And usually we can say, well, why are you doing that? That's three hours that you're pulling them out of their job. And we're telling you, you can just give them this headset in a 10 minute chunk on a Tuesday and boom, they're good to go. They need to stop and think about it. The change management side. Yeah, this is, this is a challenge because at some level you're selling a, a product to them, but the value of that product is enhanced or embedded in the, the way the organization is using that product. Yeah. And on top of that, like I, I'm very open about the challenges we have at our company as well as the industry. On top of that, you're putting something on someone's face, right? All over. Like All over. Immersive. Uh, okay. yeah. my, my hair, my makeup, right? Like bumping into a table. I mean, there's a lot of friction to using virtual reality a ton. And we don't shy away from that. This is something the industry will continue to chip away at as the form factor shrinks and shrinks and shrinks to be like a pair of lightweight glasses. But there's a change management component and there's a like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put that on my face. I, I dressed up today. <laughs> like that. that's hard. That's a big barrier to overcome. And what's the estimated uh, ETA on when the headsets won't be so bulky, so invasive? Well, I mean, Oculus Go and Oculus Quest have already come down considerably from how these big these things were five years ago, cheaper, lighter, faster, better. That said, it's got to come down a lot more to be more like a pair of swim goggles probably for like mass adoption. I'd say five to 10 years. I'm not overly ambitious, right? I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff in labs, you know, around the country. And I've seen a lot of prototypes, the magic leaps of the world. But if we're, if we're just being honest with ourselves, 
five to 10 years before we really start to see that form factor uh, change dramatically. Great. Let's go to the, you say no to a lot of customers. Tell us the times when you say no. What what are some examples that you frequently get and you're just like, that's not going to be for us? Innovation, the innovation function within a company can be your best friend or your worst enemy as a startup, as a technology startup. Let's just go broadly and not even just us. We have seen pilots via an innovation group that couldn't have gone any better with respect to what they were looking to get out of it. And we're, we still haven't expanded. We're still sitting in purgatory. So, and, and we've asked them like, guys, like what more did we need to do here? Nothing. It was great. Okay. So what was your plan for once this went well? Well, we didn't know. We just wanted to tinker and we're measured by how many new innovations we do. Not if they go well or they don't go well, or if you, if you yeah. spread them to the rest of the company, honestly, no. So we look for those red flags, right? We don't, we don't not want to talk to innovation because we've been some of our companies, our customers that are very big right now, we came in through innovation. So we don't poo poo it by any means, but we have to make sure that innovation is aligned. You're to talking o- to the core and yeah. the people that will affect this across the whole HR function. We have or- to make sure that it's aligned to other business units, other parts of the business that has they have executive eyes on this thing, or that the company has a history of doing innovative things and then bringing that to scale in their own organization. That's the number one thing we look for. Like we call it triers versus buyers, and this could be innovation, this could be L and D, this could be engineering, whatever. A trier versus a buyer, that is the number one reason we say no. And if we think you're a trier, hey, like we got enough work right now, so we're going to put you in the slow lane, you know? Yeah. And what about from a use case perspective? Like they would like to use the technology for this function. You've got the HR director, but that's not the best application of this. You're better off using some other. Yeah, a lot of people want to do want to do meetings. So-and-so couldn't go to the meeting last week. Can we film it and have them put on the headset and feel like they were sitting in the front row? I mean, yeah, you could, but no one wants to be in a headset for an hour. And that that's not a good, powerful use of the technology from our perspective. Just watch it on video. It's no different. So we get a lot of that stuff where it could otherwise be done in 2D or should just be done in the real world. And let's not reinvent the wheel here or try to do something out of left field. That That's a lot of what we see on mm-hmm. the no side. If you kind of think about the future of Striver and also virtual reality, what's sort of the next big things that are on the, the roadmap? Actually, I think it's it's not about VR, it's about AR, augmented reality, and really how the two are going to work together. Right now, they're being treated very separately, but our vision- And you began by talking about how distinct yeah. one was from being immersive yep. versus the over. We see the future of work boiling down to three buckets, hiring, training, and doing. So we hire people, we train them to do the work, and they do the work. And we're already using VR with simulation-based learning, simulation-based assessment, et cetera, in the hiring and the training bucket, we feel really confident that AR is going to impact the doing bucket. And at Striver, we want to be that the software glue and the data glue that holds all that together. So for example, we bring Bill in and we to hire him and we put him in a simulation that tells us something about him and we collect data about him relative to this role or whatever it is. And we make a hiring decision. That is one data point. That feeds the training experience because we can customize it to you relative to your strengths and weaknesses that we learned in hiring. And those two things feed the doing experience because you're a frontline worker on an assembly line. And we know that, hey, there's 10 things you need to know on day one. You got eight of them nailed. You prove that through your hiring and your training. And AR is going to make sure that you get those other two things rock solid. 
even in, in knowledge worker jobs, you know, giving feedback. We think those three buckets, AR and VR, are going to be a big, big piece of this in the next, you know, five to 10 years. And another big, broad application we'd be talking about is people not coming to work. Are we going to move to everyone sitting on the beach somewhere and then kind of, do, do you see that kind of application or is it more of like steady stream, future of work type? Uh... I, I hope not. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, you know, you're, I like. You're in California. You're already on the beach. So. I'm on the beach. Yeah. yeah. I, I like people. I, I, I like talking to people. I'm kind of the anti-tech tech CEO. I'm not on social media. Um, you know, one of the things I'm really proud of with Striver is we didn't invent a solution and then go and look for problems. We found a problem and we made a solution out of it. And we still do that to this day. So I, I really hope we don't get to a world where no one is with each other physically face-to-face every day and we're all sitting on a couch putting our glasses on and that's how we talk to each other. I, I just really hope we don't get there. I think there's a benefit to it. And I think, you know, hopefully maybe a virtual meeting between me and you in a headset will be better than a choppy video conference or a phone call where we can't see each other, whatever. Or, or even we talk about that if VR hits the the real strides and yeah. AR as well, you and I might be in the same room and we put on the headsets so that we can yeah. explore the models. We can see. For sure. You and I in the same room together. Yeah. Let's pop our headset on for 20 minutes. Let's do the visualization, but then let's take it off and talk to each other. Let's not just be interacting with the computer all day. That's pretty scary. Um, from my perspective. Yeah, but you go back to your hiring, training, you know, and then doing the work, there seems to be some progression or arc that if you're doing a lot with the hiring and you're doing a lot with the training, yeah. then people become dependent or they, you know, find extra application around this. Yeah, and, and I think it'll, so you're right, but I think it'll be job specific. Factory workers already wear hard hats, right? And they, so so now if our hard hat includes a set of glasses that is feeding some of this performance information, pretty seamless. Uh, someone sitting in a computer or, or a manager doing a one-on-one with an employee. Okay, wait, hang on. I got to put on my headset and dial in to see what you ate for breakfast this morning. I mean, th- that's just a scary world, you know? So I, I hope we don't take it that far and we realize the limits of the technology relative to social interactions. We have a lot of MBA listeners to this podcast series. Any advice to them for the future, either from the entrepreneurship perspective, from the VR perspective? Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked enough about VR today, so let's kind of go a little bigger. You know, I often get asked like, what's the number one thing you've learned in in building your company? I mean, we're almost five years old, 130 people. We're bucking the trends and we pivoted our business because we knew that we needed to evolve. And if we were just married to what we were doing before, we never would have gotten this far. Great. Kind of a final fascinating question here is you began in the sports market and you're still in the sports market. You've also gone into the enterprise market. So how has that evolution evolved when you have two, in some ways, quite different customer bases and perspectives and needs? Yeah. So again, the use case and the formula, that's pretty similar, right? But the markets couldn't be any different. Number one, sports is, is, I mean, I'm holding up something to you in the room right now. That market's this big, right? It's tiny. If all the teams in the world couldn't pay us as much as three enterprises, <laughs> the enterprise market is just bigger. So from a TAM perspective, that's Total pretty simple. Market, yeah. That's pretty yeah. simple. The things that we've had to do to evolve our company, given the differences, has been pretty massive. I mean, this is an enterprise software play. It's not a virtual reality play. It's not a, definitely not a sports play anymore. Uh, it's an enterprise software play, and VR is the medium through which we deliver information and the experience. But you know, knowing what IT requirements there are, security and infrastructure, data and compliance, PII, all this stuff that it takes to scale in an enterprise, that's what we're doing. And wake-up call for some of the other startups that want to be Striver one day, like, they're going to get hit with a ton of bricks because I meet with a lot of them because they want to partner with us. And how can we scale? And I'm like, well, are you SOC 2 compliant? They're like, what's that? 
well, you got a, a year's worth of work ahead of you <laughs> to get there. So we've just evolved for really a lot of the things that we need to do in the, to exist in the enterprise that we never would have known even two years ago when this was kind of just transitioning from sports. Derek, thanks so much for coming in today, telling us about Striver, also where virtual reality is in terms of enterprise training and the future that lies ahead. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate it. And thanks to all of you for listening in. We hope you enjoy the Managing the Future of Work podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about the Managing the Future of Work project at our website, hbs.edu forward slash managing the future of work. You can also learn more about our upcoming executive education course, Leading an Agile Workforce Transformation, which runs in October.